Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show. This week I have Sarah Briggs with me. Sarah is a declutter coach and a writer but is known to describe herself as a potty mouth optimist. Since this is a G-rated podcast, however, I have to ask Sarah to keep her potty mouth in check. But if you want some proof that colourful language and compassion can coexist, check her out on Instagram because that's where I found her and I completely love what she dishes up there. So today I have Sarah here with me to discuss six habits that you can start doing now which will transform your home in just one year. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. So before we get into these six tips, and I'm I'm really excited for these because it's a new year and people are keen to get going and want some really practical stuff that they can start doing to change the way their home functions. Before we get into that, I want to know a little bit about your backstory and your journey to becoming a declutter coach, because I know that not too long ago, you described yourself as a clutter bug. So can you take us back to that time, paint us a little bit of a picture of what your life was looking like, and then walk us through your transformation? How do you go from clutter bug to declutter coach? Uh, very carefully. <laughs> so yeah, I, I started with a whole lot of clutter. I like I had a walk-in closet that I couldn't even walk into. It was just so full of of clothes and like every nook and cranny was full of stuff. I had hundreds of books and hundreds of, I don't know, eyeshadows. Like I just had so much stuff and I ended up moving it mm-hmm. from one city to another city and then again to Toronto where I, where I am now. And in that last move, I had I had downsized into this small little apartment with basically no storage. I had one closet, like no storage in the kitchen. And I was trying to unpack all my stuff. And I just had this, this full-blown panic attack because I, I realized in that moment that I had acquired all this stuff throughout all these years, ideally to make me happy. But not only was it not making me happy, it was actually making me really stressed out. So over the next year or so, I was decluttering my stuff. Um, and what I was finding was that I, I really struggled with it. I think more than a lot of people do, or at least more than I thought people did at the time. So I spent that year decluttering. And what I found was that I was very attached to my stuff. And I was really struggling to get rid of it. And I wasn't totally sure why. And so as I unpacked the sort of emotions beneath it, I realized that I was very sentimentally attached to my stuff. I had a lot of memories tied into them and it was very difficult for me to part with those memories. And I also have anxiety. And so I always had this little voice in the back of my head that, you know, was saying, oh, you can't get rid of it because you might need it one day, you know, keep it just in case. So that whole year ended up being this sort of transformative process of, of accepting who I really am and becoming more mindful. And so, yeah, it was this whole big, uh, big experience for me where it was really not about the stuff at all, even though I was decluttering. 
Did you have any help through that year or did you have any particular inspiration, people or websites or blogs or anything that you turned to to help you get through it or did you just have this journey, do this transformation on your own? I looked up every blog post I could find. I read every book I could get my hands on. So I wasn't following any one person's advice, but I was searching high and low for answers for why I was so attached to my stuff. And what ended up helping me the most actually was uh, books on cognitive science, um, sort of the psychological attachment um, and some theories there. And so it was, again, less about the stuff itself. It was more about my own mind and trying to figure out why I think the way that I do and, and why I was acting the way that I did when it, com- when it came to my stuff, you know? So how then do you become a declutter coach? Like it's one thing to say my stuff doesn't fit into my flat and I need to let go of some things and then work out why you're having a hard time letting go and going through the process. A lot of people will do that and then be like, thank God that's done. Now I can go back to my normal life, but just with less. But you took that one step forward and started doing that for other people. So how did you, did you just fall in love with the the notion of this and the psychology of this and then decide to apply it? Or did you um, figure out that you had a real, you know, passion for it or a real, you were really savvy at, at getting rid of things and organizing things? Like what made you flick the switch and turn this into a career, not just um, something you did for yourself? Yeah, it's such a good question because it happened really organically. Um, it wasn't some decision that, oh, I've decluttered my stuff. Now I'm going to go help other people. Um, it started, you know, a few months in uh, my partner who up until that point had been supportive, but kind of like confused <laughs> by my decluttering. Mm-hmm. He ended up asking me if I would help go through his closet. Uh, and so I sort of was teaching him what I had learned. And then my best friend, like a few months after that was like, oh, like I see that your, you know, your home is so much airier and nicer and you seem happier. Like, can you help me declutter some of my stuff? And so it it started with friends asking me if I would do that. And at the time I was actually a flight attendant. So I was a flight attendant for the better part of five years. And, you know, in the back galley, like we just, you get to talking about things and the subject of decluttering would inevitably come up. And so I started helping all these flight attendants work through their attachment to their stuff. And yeah, it all just kind of planted the seed that, oh, I really love helping people with this. I really love being able to sort of coach people through the the process. And then it wasn't until this year that I was finally like, you know what, I'm going to make this my career. That's brilliant. I love that. I love hearing the stories about how people get to where they're going and especially when it's not some predetermined destiny that you've been dreaming about since you were 15 or something like that, that it just kind of you happen upon it through your own transformation. That's really cool. So now let's get into these tips because I have promised listeners that they are going to get some practical advice that they can take away. It's 2021, new year, new me, people want advice and help to really move the needle. I think there's a lot of chat around 
this and that and decluttering. And I mean, Beck and I chat way too much every week giving people advice, but sometimes people just need tips that are really concrete and really easy to implement and take away and they can start using straight away. So that's what I've got you here for. And you've written this great blog post with 12 decluttering habits that you can implement in a year to change, dramatically change where you are in a year from now. Mm -hmm. And we have cut that down to a list of six and you and I are going to discuss the top six. So you hit us, Sarah, where do we start? What's tip number one? Tip number one is to start with a big, scary goal. And this is something that I actually do not with decluttering, but with other things in my life. Every month, I have this one big, scary goal. And it's something that is not so far out of my comfort zone that I'm too scared to even try. But it's something that is definitely pushing the limits of my comfort zone. And I think that that's something that can really change the way that we look at our our homes, you know, like if I, if I'm really nervous to get rid of uh, something that I'm keeping just in case. So if that's sort of a mentality that we have, what if we try living without it for a month? You take all those just in case things, you stuff them in a cupboard or a closet and and you experiment and you, you have this little sort of science experiment of what would life be like if I didn't have these things, which is very much out of your comfort zone if you keep things just in case a lot. And I think that having one goal to focus on every month is a very realistic thing, right? It's doable. You know, maybe you could do a, a no spend month. So you go the whole month without spending on anything mm. other than groceries or like absolute necessities, toiletries, that kind of thing. And just sort of push where, like what you're capable of, you know? Yeah, because that that growth doesn't happen inside your comfort zone. You have to get outside of it. And I like how you've said that it's got to be a little bit scary. It's got to push you, but not be so daunting and so unachievable that you feel like you're at the base of a mountain. You don't even bother taking a step because you think I'll never reach the top. So you've got to find that kind of that balance, don't you, that midpoint? Totally, yeah. But when you multiply the big scary goal by 12 months, like think of how far you could be 12 months from now if every single month you're pushing your comfort zone that much more. Mm. And would you suggest your goal could be if you're looking at changing your home and the way it functions and the amount of stuff in there, do you think you would go narrow enough to say my goal this month is to have a clutter-free lounge room? Like would you make it location-specific or do you think you'd go broader than that? It really depends on the person. You know, I, I know that there are some declutter coaches out there who are very specific on, you know, you should declutter a room by room or you should declutter category by category. Personally, I don't, I don't think it really makes a big difference because it's not really about the stuff itself. It's, it's really about our own sort of inner work, mm-hmm. and our inner journey. Um, but if that feels right to somebody, yeah, for sure. If, if you want to say, I want to declutter, maybe start a little smaller if it's a daunting thing. You know, I want to declutter my bathroom fully this month. Or I want to declutter my desk area, you know, my office, whatever. But yeah, picking something that feels like a, a little, little nerve wracking. A little nerve wracking is good but not so 
extreme that you don't even try and that the anxiety kicks in. And yeah. So yeah, I think going, picking a room could absolutely work depending on the situation. Perfect. So that's habit one. And look, if you're going to, if you're listening at home and you're going to start trying these and you set your big scary goal and you want some people to be accountable to, if you don't have people in your family or at home or friends that that you feel comfortable being accountable to, by all means, come to our Facebook community, our Be Uncluttered Facebook community, and tell us there what your big scary goal is and we'll support you through it. Because I feel like sometimes the goal is one thing, setting it is one thing, being accountable to achieving it is another thing. And I feel like once you say it out loud to people, you're much more likely to achieve. So I love that. Habit one. So what's habit two, Sarah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so habit two is to keep a sell slash donate box uh, by the door. I think that having sort of the visual of, oh, these are these are the things that are leaving my home uh, can kind of keep decluttering at the forefront of our, our minds. And it doesn't necessarily have to be at the front door. I just find that a very convenient place for it to be. But if you're decluttering, I don't know, your, your kitchen, you know, keep a box in your kitchen. And then every time you're going through your cupboards, if you notice that there's something kind of in there collecting dust, you know, toss it in the the cell box or the donate box or whatever your your plans are for that item box. Um, I find it just sort of cuts down on the barriers. Yeah, having that mm. um, that constant visual reminder almost keeps the filter on. Like everything you touch and you see, then you know that you're mid process and there is a place to move that to. Because I think a lot of the time our problems come when. We, you know, open a drawer or try and open a drawer and we can't get get it open because there's so many utensils in there all stuck together and jamming the drawer up. And we think, oh, I've got to deal with that. But then making a decision, once I decide which utensils I'm getting rid of, where are they going, you know, that's one step too far. If we've got something sitting there waiting and we think those salad servers that I never use are so annoying, they always jam this drawer if you've got the box right there, you pull them out, you put them in the box and it's done and you kind of move through your space then with this filter of um, letting go and living with less. And so it's a really easy next step to make the call and then put them there. So I really I really like that. I think that's really valuable. Yeah, it's, just, it's a very practical thing and I definitely did that. I, I sold a lot of my stuff um, mostly because I wanted to make sure that it was getting used by people. Um, as much as possible. And, and it's tough sometimes with bigger thrift mm-hmm. stores to, to ensure that, uh, that there's actually a, a life beyond for that object. But um, I had a sell box. And then that way, you know, I was arranging things online to sell it on Facebook marketplace or whatever. And I already knew it was by the door. So whenever somebody came to pick it up, I knew it was right there, it was good to go. And yeah, it, I just found it a very practical uh, thing to do. And honestly, just keeping it, like you said, like keeping it there, having the visual reminder, like over the course of a year, like that could completely transform your space. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then what's our third habit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the third habit is recharging. And I, I love self-care. I think that it's been a little bit spun by the media like they, they make us think that we have to buy all this stuff 
for self-care. Um, but really, you don't need to spend mm-hmm. any money for self-care. Mm-hmm. It's more about being able to to recharge so that you have the mental and physical energy to declutter and and to live life in general. You know, it, it just, it's such an important thing. And I'm fascinated by the idea of uh, like preventing decision fatigue. Um, so I'm very, very into like, cognitive science, neuroscience, that sort of thing. And so decision fatigue is basically when your prefrontal cortex, which is making a lot of these decisions, it's sort of the higher level, I I call it the nerd brain. Mm -hmm. Um, It's when it gets tired. And it's almost like you have a limited number of decisions per day. So if you can reduce the number of decisions that you have to make, you'll have more energy for things like decluttering. And, you know, one of the things, it's kind of an aside, but one of the things that I did was I drastically reduced my wardrobe, especially in the early days. And I had only black pants. So that was like one less thing I had to worry about. I knew that I was always going to wear black pants. And then I only had a few different t-shirts and a few different long sleeve shirts. Like it just I didn't have to stare at my closet and work through all of these decisions and use up my decisions for the day, just picking something to wear for the day. So I really like this because you've those first two steps of setting the big scary goal and then keeping the cell donate box, they can be they can be taxing. They can almost be anxiety provoking because they are challenging you to change your norm, they're challenging you to get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and they are requiring you to make decisions regularly. So I love that this third step or this third habit is almost an antidote to that, that because those two things are in your face and pushing you to a new, hopefully better existence, the third thing is about is not another active step in decluttering, but it's taking care of yourself so that... Exactly habit one and habit two can last longer than the first month or the second month that they can keep going long-term. So you're kind of balancing the other side of the scale. So I really love that. I love that it's not all just do this, do this, do this, do this. And it seems like such overwhelming uh, output of energy and and change and pivoting because um, that that is exhausting. So I love that your third habit is almost in the other direction. It's like look after yourself because if you don't, habit one and two won't last long term. So that's great. I think burnout cycle is like one of the worst things, especially, you know, for decluttering, but just in general, like this whole idea of nose to the grindstone, working and working and working to the point of burning out. And then all of that progress that you made kind of disappears because all of a sudden you have no energy to upkeep your home or your life or yourself. Um, and then the cycle repeats. And if you interject, you know, intentional self care while you're working, then you can make much steadier progress. Absolutely. That's brilliant. So then once we've got our self care happening and we're recharging our batteries, what's next? What's our fourth habit that we need to embrace? Mm-hmm. So One of the things that I love doing is every laundry day, use it as a guide to gauge what you're actually wearing. Because 
like there's no better sign of what you're wearing than what's in the laundry hamper. So once you have everything in the hamper, I like to take a little look at what's left in the closet. And I mean, aside from seasonal items or whatever that you're not actually wearing at that time of year, it's a really good gauge to be able to say like, oh, why aren't I wearing this? Is it that it doesn't fit properly? Is it that it doesn't really suit my style anymore? Maybe I bought it thinking that I would be the kind of person who would wear it, but that's kind of a fantasy self that I have. And yeah, just using every laundry day, it's sort of a nice little cue, a nice little reminder for the habit. And you just have a little scan and maybe get rid of a, an item or two that didn't actually get worn during that week or that couple of weeks or I don't know how often you do laundry. but <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really good idea. Um, for me, it works more with my ironing pile because I will iron most things before I put them back in my wardrobe. And I kind of put off doing the ironing. So I will wear stuff, wash it, and it will go in my ironing basket. And that's in my laundry room. So it's away from my wardrobe. And so my wardrobe will gradually get smaller and smaller through the month because more and more things have been worn, Mm. washed, and put in the ironing basket. And then I know if there are things that I'm not loving, if I go, okay, I need to iron because I've got nothing to wear because it's never that my – my wardrobe or my closet is completely empty. There is still stuff there. But when I choose to go and pull all the ironing out and spend three hours ironing all my clothes, (laughs) rather than just wearing what's left in there, for me, that's a really clear sign that whatever is left in there either, and quite often it's because either it's a pain to iron, so I avoid wearing it because I don't want to have to iron it again, or that I, you know, that it's uncomfortable to to wear like it's either got scratchy fabric or it rides up or it's not and then I think okay well why am I why am I choosing to get the ironing basket out rather than wearing this maybe that's a sign it needs to be let go but I love that idea of just picking up the cues from the way you're living already rather than just standing there in front of your or your clothes and picking out what you want to let go of look at the way you're living and see what that indicates to you about what you're avoiding and ask yourself why. So that's brilliant. Totally. And I, I'm definitely guilty of having the whole fantasy self thing too, which is actually why I made it my number five on this list. And Mm -hmm. fantasy self in my case was somebody who wears heels all the time, who always dresses up really fancy to go out with friends. And, and that's just not me you know, and, and I found that by getting rid of, I actually got rid of every single pair of heels that I owned. When I realized that one of the pairs I bought years ago, was like a pair of stilettos. I never wore it once, like not once. I just, that's just not me. And mm-hmm. so I got rid of all of my heels and, and I'm just as happy now as I was before, maybe more so because I feel like I've accepted that I'm, I'm a flats gal, you know, that's, that's who I am. But Uh, identifying your fantasy self can be a total game changer when it comes to the way that you look at your stuff. You know, you can ask, did I buy this for me or for the person that I wish I was? And if it's the latter, how can I accept the part of me that I'm trying to buy my way out of right now? You know? Yeah, we, Beck and I have talked about this as well. And we quite often refer to it as aspirational clutter, that, that, person you're aspiring Mm. to become and there's a real fine line there because there's some things 
like for me, I'm trying to think of, you know, a practical example from my own life. I might buy a cookbook that is, because I love cooking, that is a bit more involved. The recipes are a bit more complex than what I'm used to. And that's aspirational, but I will try and use that to inspire me to develop my cooking school skills even more. So sometimes a tiny bit of aspirational stuff sure. bringing into your home can be great, can extend you. It's almost like self-help books. If you are using them to mm-hmm. improve yourself or to inspire you to a, a higher level of being, brilliant. The problem is quite often the aspiration is at the point of purchase and we go, ah, oh, one day I'm going to be that person. And it comes home and whether it be the stilettos or the clothes for the person that we wish we were and what the way we wish we were dressing, the cookbooks or the craft or hobby items, quite often the aspiration is at that point of purchase and it comes into our homes and then it does nothing because we are not that person yet. And if it's not something that's really easily within reach of um, grasping or becoming that person, it seems too far away and so it just sits there. So I think I love the way you call it your fantasy self because that seems it seems like a much nicer term than aspirational you know, clutter items or whatever. But it's something that most of us can relate to, the, the person in our head that we wish we were. Um, so I think figuring out who that person is and why you keep buying for them instead of yourself can be a really good way to cut it down. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's absolutely okay to have goals, you know, like I, am not saying that people shouldn't have aspirations for themselves. It's more when you look at that stuff and you feel guilty for not being that person. I think that's where the issue lies. You know, I think that just because you're decluttering something that you're not using because that's not who you are, it doesn't mean that that's not who you could become one day. It just means that there needs to be a process of accepting who you are first. And then, you know, it's true that maybe Mm -hmm. one day you can do it, but it doesn't mean that you have to hang on to that stuff because maybe one day you won't be that person. And that's okay too. You know, it, it's really determining who you are in this moment and, and not hanging on to somebody that you feel guilty for not being. Yeah, and I find that a lot with people that have either gained weight or have desires to lose weight and keep clothes or purchase clothes that are too small for them currently and hang them in their wardrobe. And I'm like, for me personally, I don't think I could, I would find that like, it wouldn't be inspiring to me. That would be panic inducing or guilt inducing. I would look at it look at those pair of size eight jeans and go, I will, I can't, still can't get into them. And that just makes me feel bad. I don't want to wake up every day and look at a pair of jeans that I can't fit into. That doesn't, that doesn't work for me. And it certainly probably, I don't think would inspire me, but um, you know, for a lot of people, it's that idea of, I will get back there. I want to get back there. I'm going to hold on to that stuff. And quite often I will say, if you got back to that way, if you lost weight, wouldn't you enjoy the process of going and buying yourself new clothes? Because chances are by the time you get back to that weight, you might be interested in different things. You might have changed your hair color and so different colors might suit you. You know, like instead of guilting yourself by looking at something from your past or, you know, um, having something in your face that reminds you you're not there, you're not good enough yet, why don't you Mm -hmm. accept yourself as you currently are 
great, set some goals. Um, you know, if it's around fitness, if it's around weight loss, awesome, that's fine. Get really healthy, do what you want, but then be happy with the size that you're at and purchase yeah. to support that person rather than trying to morph yourself into a, a previous self that you were. It's really, it's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely trickier when it comes to body image as well, right? Because it's it's not about the clothes in that instance. It's really about our perceptions of ourselves and how we fit into society. And, you know, as far as the clothing goes, I think that the key is, is finding like being okay with where we are now. And for some people, they are very motivated by having, you know, clothes that are smaller. But it's that whole understanding of I'm not going to be a better person, you know, I'm not going to be better as a person just because I fit into those clothes. I'm actually a pretty great person right now. And, and both can coexist, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Happiness doesn't lie in a smaller pair of jeans. Happiness mm-hmm. lies in your state of mind, regardless of your size. Exactly. Yeah. I think, oh, I think there's so much to, to tease out there and to, to learn, but, um, but that's a really good tip, identifying your fantasy self. So we have one more, your sixth tip. What is it, Sarah? It's to strengthen your relationships because I find that clutter, especially the just in case clutter, it's, it's a replacement for emotional needs that aren't necessarily being met. You know, if you're keeping things just in case, for example, it's trying to meet your need of, you know, needing a sense of control over your life, over the future. Um, Sometimes if you're keeping things like gifts from people that you don't actually want to keep, but you feel like you should keep, like those gifts might be meeting your need for love and, you know, community. And so I think that by strengthening your relationships, you can actually part with clutter more easily because instead of keeping things just in case you can get rid of them give them to somebody who could use them now and then if there ever comes a time where you need that thing you can borrow it from somebody you know you can go to a lending library in your city if that exists or you can start a lending library if it doesn't exist Um, and just relying Mm -hmm. on our, our community and our support networks a little bit more Um, I find that it's really changed my mentality of how I look at my stuff. Like I like to use this example of, um, so I have a friend who lives in the building and I have a blender and she has a food processor and I very rarely need a food processor, but once in a while I do. And so when I do, I borrow it from her. So I don't need to keep a food processor, like just in case I need it one day, I can rely on the people in my life to, to support me if that is the case. And, you know, the same goes with her where, you know, if she ever needs a blender, she doesn't need one very often, but she can borrow mine. And, and it works out really well that way. Yeah. I think that's really, that's really important. And it's, it's funny how quite often when we are looking towards a life with less stuff, or we are striving to declutter our homes and our spaces, we think everything is about the clutter. Everything is about the object, the item, the stuff on our countertops, the stuff on our floor. It's about the stuff. And so often it's not about the stuff at all. And I love it. So we've had these six habits you've gone through. One is goal setting. 
Awesome. The second one, really practical, really hands-on. Keep your cell or donate box by the door. The third tip about recharging your batteries isn't about the stuff at all. It's about keeping yourself in a great space mentally so that you can keep going with the challenges and working towards those goals without burning out. Your fourth Mm. one was using that laundry day as a guide to help you figure out what you're actually wearing. Again, really hands-on, really practical. You can niche down in that brilliantly. And number five and six are more about stepping back and and looking. Number five, identify this fantasy self that you're buying for. And it's that whole idea of when that clicks and you understand that, that will change the amount of stuff coming into your home and it will also make it so much easier to let go because you understand why that stuff was purchased and you understand why it's not being used. And then number six, although it doesn't technically seem to relate to clutter at all, it is it is so integral about relationships. So when you feel secure in your relationships, you don't have to build a barricade of stuff around you to feel secure. And mm-hmm. together with that, if you've got good relationships and a good supportive network or community around you, you don't need to own every appliance. You don't need to have access to every single thing within your home because you have a network of people that can lean in if you need something, if you need support. I love them. I think they're brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's it's not about the stuff. And I feel like that's sort of my <laughs> my thesis statement and all my posts and everything. Like it's, we're so caught up in the clutter itself, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, you know, like it's, it's not about the stuff, the stuff, the clutter is just a symptom of all our emotional clutter going on underneath. Mm, so true. So they are six of the tips of your 12 tips that you share in the blog. Can you tell us um, what the blog post is and where we can find it? If we want to kind of recap these points that you've discussed and also see the rest. Yeah, so it is, uh, my website is letthatshitgo.ca. And I believe, I'm just going to double check it here. I believe it is uh, decluttering habits. Yeah, it is. So uh, slash decluttering hyphen habits. And that's the uh, 12 12 decluttering habits that will completely transform your home in a year. So I love that post and I will definitely pop a link to it in our show notes so that people can find it really easily if they click through on our website. I have loved your insight. Um, like we said, that I, I've loved what, I love what you put on Instagram. It makes me giggle and it makes me go, hallelujah, like just the insight is brilliant. Um, so can you share with us your handles as well? Like we said, if you wonder why Sarah is spelling out a part of her website or her handles, that's because she can't say it on our G-rated podcast. But um, <laughs> the links to all of them will be in our show notes as well. So, Sarah, do you want to let us know where we can find you socially as well online? Yeah, so uh, Facebook is the same as my website. So let that S-H-I-T go dot C-A. Uh, and as far as Instagram, where I'm probably most active, it's at let that S-H-I-T underscore underscore go. Or if you just search the words in the little search bar, it, it'll pop up there too. Uh, and TikTok is the same. If there's any TikTokers on there, it's the same as my Instagram handle. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and your insight. It's been 
Wonderful. You've given us lots to think about and lots to consider and implement in the year going forward. And who knows, we might get you back on the show someday and we'll um, we'll talk about some other more practical habits and uh, a bit more psychological insight since that's your bag as well. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that want to jump into our community, let us know if you're implementing any of these tips. Come find us on Facebook at Be Uncluttered Community and we will see you again next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.